Hello once again, brethren. It's good to be back with you as we continue our look at the role of a pastor, the responsibility of a pastor as we look at these pastoral epistles again, 1 Timothy, Titus, and 2 Timothy. It's been such a joy to come at this study as from the heart as being a pastor myself to speak from the heart, to leave the exposition of the line by line uh, for future studies, and just to come from these epistles as in a pastoral capacity from one shepherd to another. Father, I praise you and I thank you for these studies. I ask that you would open up our hearts, that we might be ministered, might be edified, that, Lord, we might be shepherds, pastors, overseers that are concerned absolutely concerned about the welfare of those you place before us and the correct handling of the word of God and the capacity for which you've given us pastors. Thank you, Father, and I ask it in Jesus' name. So today, brethren, we're in the fifth chapter of 1 Timothy as we're moving through these pastoral epistles. And as I may come to you today uh, with a heart filled with not only gratitude but concern about some of the examples I've seen of pastoral uh, duties out there which are lacking. And I want to encourage you that have, that have a heart uh, for the calling that you've had, that the pastorate is something that we must look on with seriousness, uh, absolute responsibility, and yet privilege, brethren. You and I as pastors have the privilege to not only expound the word of God, but to live out that word in front of those whom we are instructing that they might grow thereby, that they might grow in responsible, mature Christians, not being swayed with every wind of doctrine, but being mature, that they might go out and fulfill the calling that God has called in their life. You know, that there are no nominal Christians out there. Uh, normal Christianity is biblical Christianity. And as one said so well and so eloquently, when we look to Jesus Christ, we meet God. And what a responsibility and privilege that is, brethren. As we look today, we're going to be seeing a rather short chapter as far as, as uh, doctrine is concerned, and yet one that's important, one that's greatly misunderstood concerning widows and the burden uh, of of that. Where, where are we to stand as far as those that have lost the protective care of their husband? You know, we've often said that the husband plays a very important role to the wife, obviously. He, in three ways, he biblically um, looks over her. Uh, the first way, obviously, is physically, um, protecting her physically from all harm. The second um, would be spiritually. We are called as husbands to spiritually uh, watch over our wives and, and, and protect them and guide them. And three, emotionally. We are, the Apostle Peter says, we are to live our life, wives in an understanding way, emotionally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. Um, when those are cultivated, um, we, we start to see the husband being a well-rounded individual. Not only is the overseer of a pastor of a church, but what does the pastor do in his home? Very important. Um, so let's get into this fifth chapter. And I'll just read down a little, brethren, and then we'll get back in and just hit some highlights. Again, from my heart to yours, I hope this adds encouragement, a solidity to this wonderful position to which God has called us. 
Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as sisters, and younger women, excuse me, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity. With all purity. I want to say a little bit about this. You know, the world is characterized by all kinds of sexual morality, all kinds of things clamoring at, at the uh, the one who would do the will of God. You know, it's often been said that Satan does not, he leaves the sleeping dogs alone. He only takes thought and takes mind of the barking dogs. In other words, those that walk with Christ and, and want to communicate his word and live his word in a very anti-Christ and hostile world, uh, sexual temptation, whether it be... Uh, visual, whether it be actual, actual sexual uh, temptation, uh, what have you. Uh, we understand that we're called to exemplary look at our wives in a way that they're made only for us. I think that the gr one of the great things that Job stated, and he said that I had made a covenant with my eyes concerning his wife. Why should I look upon a woman? And it begins with that second glance. It begins with that allowing that temptation to fester, the temptation to come in. And, and notice, brethren, that's just not a one-sided argument. We look at temptation coming in in a lot of ways. Don't rebuke an older man. In other words, don't don't get down on a harshful man. We've all been taught to respect our elders. Well, we must respect those that have gone before us, or those that are aged, especially in the Lord. Exhort him as a father. Be tender towards him. My father's been gone for many years, and, and and as the years roll on, I'm more tender towards him, even though I'm without him. Treat him as a father, an older man. Don't be harsh and, and prideful. The younger men as brothers, to exhort, to raise up, to encourage. The older women as mothers. Wow. Let's, let's honor the older women by helping them and loving them and admonishing them as for their worth. You know, grim, women have great worth, men, um, and they're not used for uh, temptations. They're not used for indulgences. They're used to be uh, respected, to put in the right position. And I love how he ends this as the younger women as sisters with all purity. You know, I think the one thing that the Apostle Paul in this area was concerned, I know I... I am, and I still look at pastors and, and instruct in this way. You know that if there's one of any other sin, sin other than greed, I think that Satan's going to throw the temptation of lust and, and uh, impurity towards the opposite sex. So you pastor and you young pastor, be on guard for that. And, uh, you know, because the Lord honors that. Let's uh, let's go on and talk about widows real quick, and let's uh, again look at the fact that the Bible is very very telling about how God tenderly cares for widows. Remember in the Proverbs, do not remove the ancient landmark, you know the widow, widow you know the fatherless and the husbandless. God will plead their cause, uh, and so forth. All through the Word of God, we see how God is constantly caring for His own especially for those that 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 are poor and destitute or or weak and afraid or without support can you imagine being married for quite some time and all of a sudden losing 
that support and that 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 leading, that sheltering, that guiding, that protecting that a widow that has been married some time loses, absolutely open and vulnerable to the enemy. You know, it's it's been a, a well-known fact that through the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and maybe on up a little bit, that the cults had a very, very uh, interesting way of proselytizing. That was during the day. Because in those decades, the majority households, the man was away at work. The woman was home, and Satan would do his best work getting the woman away from her protecting, away from her husband, and doing his work. Uh, we can say much more examples on that, but yet we must learn to, to look at widows people, in a special light, in a caring light, in an understanding way. And I think that's a, a fitting way for Paul to open up this chapter as uh, older women as mothers, uh, younger women as sisters of all purity. Let's read on a little bit, brethren, and then we'll get back into some comments here. I'm talking about chapter 5, 1 Timothy, verse 3. Honor widows who are really widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let him first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. And before I go on to the fifth verse, I want to say a few things about about this generation especially, we see in the 20th, latter 20th and, and the 21st century a problem with children leaving their parents, growing up and not, and not being the support that they need and the support that they should have. And especially when uh, the wife has lost her husband, how they're vulnerable, how they're hurting. You know, it seems sometimes that the uh, the commandment to honor thy father and thy mother with this generation, they think that that is none and void after they're 18 and gone and married. But no, yes, the the man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife, but in no way does he uh, neglect them or neglect to care for them. You know, when Jesus was hanging on the cross in absolute physical agony, Knowing he was paying for the sin of the world, he looked down at John and says, Behold your mother. And he was concerned. Obviously, Mary had lost Joseph some years before. We don't know how long before, but we need we know understand that from Luke's account, Jesus being about 12 years old and then being about 30-something on the cross. So sometime in between there, Joseph had left from the biblical account. So we know that Mary was was alone because Joseph would have been with her uh, at the scene of the, of the crucifixion. But how tenderly he cares for his mother. Uh, despite the, the agony, the physical agony, despite the rejection by his own, uh, and also the impending, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me on the cross, which was the ultimate agony that he suffered. Yet he still looked at his mother with tenderness and cared about her. Brethren, that's the heart we must have as pastors to pass that tenderness on, that understanding on, because these are people that God is concerned about, a widow who has lost her husband. I think we need to teach our young people today uh, how important it is when, when their parents get elderly or get older to take care of them. 
uh, the new King James history, pay them. But actually what it is is, is to receive back, it's to give back uh, that they have gotten as youngsters themselves, to give back to their parents, to pay them honor. There is no higher respect than children can pay to their aging parents is to take care of them when they're aged, and especially widows. Wow, that's wonderful. Verse 5 says, Now she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. And these things command that may, they may be blameless. You know, the word blameless means not sinless. What it means is free from accusations. It's, it's free from being accused and being blamed with that accused. It's walking in a manner that people cannot point their finger at you and say, Aha! So that your God may not be blasphemed or nor his doctrine. So... To be blameless is to walk uprightly. And that's what we want to do. We want to teach not only people to walk uprightly, but people to honor those that do walk uprightly. The scripture says in verse 8, If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's strong language, brethren. Simply put, the Bible is full of of negativity or condemnation, if you will, for the laziness or the sluggardness in men. We see it all through the scripture, and especially in the book of Proverbs, we see that the lazy man comes to poverty, comes to rags, but he is a shameful man. Even the ants, who have no overseer or no guide, provide their food in the summer and, and so forth. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of, of how the Israelites, all through the Old Testament, they were assured victory. God said if they, if they walked before him blamelessly, that they would have the victory. They were assured of that, and yet they still went out and fought. But, brethren, they fought with the assurity of victory. They didn't go out and fight on one leg. They fought, went out and fought on two solid legs of not only the, the testimony of God himself, but the word of God. And if they went out and fought with all integrity, they were assured the victory. We want to work. Okay, God is going to provide for us, but yet He uses means, and uh, that we sometimes are aware of, and sometimes that we aren't aware of. We work hard to pay the bills. We work hard to provide for our family. We work hard to get out the gospel. We work hard to take care of our parents. We work hard, and God honors that. So let, how many pastors that we've read of in the past and seen in the past that go into the ministry because they think it's easy, they think that there's not much work involved, and so forth. How many men out there, countless through the ages, have tried to get rich without working, have tried to get the good lifestyle and the ease without working? Uh, God has commanded man to work, and, and it goes much further than that. Work also shows love. You know, one of the greatest verses in the in the the book of Romans, Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his love. And yet, while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, Jesus would often say, I'm working up until now. I'm doing my Father's will. I'm doing the work of the Father. Work is good, brethren. And when we do it in the energy and the power of the Lord, with the love of Christ flowing through us, it is powerful. It binds the scripture together. I love it. Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, 
and not unless she has been the wife of one man. Now let me let me speak a little while, brethren, about sometimes we read in the scripture of the early church and how they were uh, conducting themselves. Widows, the church looked after widows, looked after its own, but they had certain guidelines because usually from a woman under 60 years old uh, was, you know, eligible and was it was okay to marry if your spouse had uh, had passed on. And especially if she has only been the wife of one man, a one-man woman, one who is faithful, one who is full of integrity and respect, one who has had only her spouse in her view, only her spouse is in life, not more than uh, being married and married and married again. Um, she is a, a woman of integrity. Verse 10 says, well reported for good works. If she's done good works, raised up. So the only reason why we know of good works is if the church takes proper instruction of these people. If she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. That's verse 10, brethren. Let's read down a little bit more. But refuse the younger widows. For when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering from house to house, not only idle but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. Therefore I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachably. Brethren, that is a definition of being blameless, remember? Back up in verse 7, uh, the, the instruction of the scriptures is that they might be blameless. Here's how they're blameless. Again, desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. For some have already turned aside after Satan. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them, and do not let the church be burdened, that it may relieve those who are really widows. You know, the church, uh, we read in first, uh, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 12 on, that the church is to be built up, that the pastors, the evangelists, the teachers, and so forth are to instruct out of the Word of God, by example, not only in the Word, but in their life, to bring up mature people. That brings mature women and men that they would, would grow and not be persuaded by every wind of doctrine. And when those have lost spouses, they are so open and so vulnerable. And I will appeal to you pastors to encourage those women out there to, um, to help these women, to encourage them, not to forget them, not to um, look at them any less because maybe your tithing might be less or if any of the reason that Satan would come in and say, well, they're not worth much anymore. They're worth everything. You remember Jesus on the cross, uh, absolutely concerned about his his widowed mother. I think we need to be extra careful on how we take some of these passages. This is one of them. Women have always been a vulnerable uh, uh, 
subject, if you will, always a vulnerable and also a dividing subject about the church. Should women teach? Should women do this? And should women do that? Um, and I think the enemy has a field day with taking scriptures and passages like this and mixing them up. But one thing we know for sure, brethren, when you look at passages like this, dealing with widows, dealing with women, we always must take them in not only in their context, but also in love. We need to love our, our widows. We need, we need to raise up children that will honor their parents all through their life so that when this, if this should happen, that not only the church would give advice and care for them if needed, but if they're young, that they would know exactly how to, uh, to live biblically. Brethren, a very tough subject, but one from my heart. I've known and we've all known widows, and those are some of the most vulnerable people. Let's wrap them in love. Let's instruct them. Let's help them and support them and get them through this time of life so that they may depend upon Christ and not be carried away by grief. Let's go on to the second part of this of this chapter today, brethren. Starting at verse uh, 17, we'll go all the way through uh, verse 25. And this is a, this is just a special study. This fifth chapter is is a, a tender chapter, one that uh, we need to look at tenderly. You know, again, Paul wrote to Timothy, First, Second Timothy, Titus. They're they're called the epistles. The pastoral epistles for a reason, and I, I, I think that will become apparent as we finish and we go through Second Timothy, when you see the urgency that Paul is wanting to expound to young Timothy, a tender pastor, one who's been thrown in the lion's den, so to speak. He was, he was a pastor of a, of a place that was known for its idolatry. That, uh, you know, I think the first Christ, first century of the Christian church. Um, was brutal. It was uh, all kinds of heresy coming in. We know that from from John's writing, uh, from Paul's, and uh, Jesus had had risen again. He's ascended to the Father, and uh, the Holy Spirit has been given. And Satan is starting his activity of false teaching, um, entering into the church, trying to twist things up and twist the doctrine. So these are tender times, uh, especially in the 21st century. The word of God has not changed. You know, it's often been said if the Apostle Paul would come back today, what would he say differently? Nothing. Because the scripture is eternal. Every word of God is pure. Um, and the word has been lifted up and it's and it's truthful in its entirety. Uh, it's an eternal word of God. It doesn't change. Neither does God. So let's, let's get a tender heart toward these people, toward widows and, and so forth. I want to turn now to the fact of how we should honor those that expound the word. The Bible says, let the elders, I'm looking at verse 17 now, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Some, some uh, translations say teaching and preaching. I happen to be reading out of the New King James, which goes, uh, follows the Benzentine form in this, in this uh, verse especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Now, brethren, we recount those that were of worthy respect because those labor in the word. They labor in the doctrine. You know, we're going to see as we go on that, that Timothy urges 
uh, excuse me, Paul urges uh, young Timothy to study, to show thyself approved, a workman that needs not be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, getting into the word of God and letting it get into you, being absorbed with it, being addicted, as the King James would say, to the ministry, laboring. And, and look what it says. Uh, it uses the, the ox as an example. Look at the next verse in verse 18. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the labor is worthy of his wages. I think that's especially important. I love the scripture here where, because the laboring and, and the working is in accordance with, with how the ox labors and works. Um, to uh, plow the master's field or what have you. The ox is full of strength. And it's, it's one desire, if you will, as its strength is to do what its master requires. And diligently studying of the word of God is, uh, is hard work. It's rewarding work and it's hard work. But brethren, remember what we're doing. We're working for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to read you something out of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 real quick. Uh, verse 9, it says, Do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law say the same also? And when he's talking about the law, he's talking back in Deuteronomy, remember? He says, For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? Yes, for our sakes, no doubt, that it was written that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partakers of his hope. Plowing, threshing. Verse 11 says, If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right. The Bible goes on to say that even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should get their living from the gospel. It takes hard work, brethren. You should not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. We want to be worthy of honor, worthy of double honor. Not that we would get a pat on the back, not that we would get a, a attaboy, but that our praise would come from God, that our reward would come from Him. I want so earnestly and at the forefront of my being to hear those words from my Lord, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I gave you a few things, and I found you faithful and, and, and hardworking, not only entering the joy of thy master, but I'm going to entrust to you more things. And brethren, that is our plight. That's the plight of those that are sincere those that desire to fulfill the ministry, and, and, and here we're talking the ministry of the pastorate, the overseer, seriously, working hard. When you feed the word of God to those people that God has put before you, you need to realize and work as hard as you are feeding it to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You are doing his work, doing his honor. God says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we need to plead with men, come to God as God were imploring through us, just as God was pleading through us and speaking through us. We want to be those communicators and those pastors that know the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to communicate 
and show the life of Christ, that those might be strengthened and raised up. Worthy of honor? The Bible says here that those that are elders that teach and preach are worthy of double honor. We have, as it were, for us a responsibility to the brethren, responsibility to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Listen to these two verses that I want to just say. They're out of Hebrews chapter 13. The first one I want to read is verse 7, and I want to read verse 17, but just listen to these. First, our Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 says, Remember those who rule over you. Remember the oversighting of, of, of an elder, a pastor. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follows, considering the outcome of their conduct. Now listen to verse 17. Obey those who rule over you. You see the connection here? And be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. Listen to this. As those who must give an account, let them do so with joy and not with grief. That's the whole reason. If you look, brethren, and my fellow pastors, at James chapter 3, that famous chapter regarding the tongue. And what's the first verse says? Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we will receive the greater or the stricter judgment. The use of the tongue um, is very important. We must do it honorably. In laboring in the word, teaching doctrine, you know, we, uh, we preach doctrine, we teach the word, and we stay faithful to it. Not going beyond what is written, not going beyond the scripture itself, but putting scripture with scripture, coming up to any conclusion that we have. The Bible as a whole no scripture apart from itself should be ever made into a doctrine or ever used to club, corral, caress, anything of anybody. But the scripture as a whole, laboring, we have one thing and one thing in mind, and that is to correctly teach the word of God. Even as an ox puts his head down, his master puts the yoke upon him, and he goes, and he plows, and he treads, and he threshes. So often we get the imagery, uh, brethren, of, of a, a strong ox always being paired up with the, the younger, a little bit weaker ox, so that the, the older ox might correct, and the one that the younger one that tends to want to kind of lead off a little bit, kind of veer off a little bit, and shows him how it's done. And so when the younger ox grows into the older mature, he does the same thing. And that's what we're doing in these studies, brethren teaching how the importance of laboring in the Word of God. It goes on to say in verse 19, Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Now we see that in Deuteronomy chapter 19. Um, you know, let's not be so quick to judge. And I think judgment in the church today has gone off the deep end. And we seem to want to follow the sensationalism of the media. Uh, but we need solid facts and, and because the enemy... Uh, accuses us night and day before the throne of God. We see that in Revelation 12. We already have a great accuser, that he doesn't follow this precedent. He accuses you no matter what. Even as they accused the Lord Jesus Christ when he arrested him and in his trial. Absolutely false. Um, if they're going to do that to the Lord himself, the Lord of glory, brethren, don't think they're going to do not going to do that to you. But we're to be solid and we're to be calm 
we're to be decent. We're to collect uh, witnesses and collect understanding before we headlong into uh, rebuking and correcting. Because in verse 20 it says, Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all, that the rest also may fear. Now we have examples of that, brethren. I'm going to go just a few of them. Uh, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Remember how we have the man who was committing, uh, who was having, uh, basically committing incest with his father's wife. They, you know, they rebuked him and threw him out. He received correction and they welcomed him back. We have Ananias and Sapphira. We have a lot of examples in the Word of God to rebuke. We have the famous one of Paul coming to Peter in, uh, in Galatians. I rebuked him to his face because Paul was acting inconsistently with the gospel. The gospel saying that favoritism is no more. And yet, when the people of the Gentiles were hanging out with Peter, Peter hung out with them. And yet, when James, who seems to be a pillar in the church, came with some of the brethren being, you know, Jewish Christians, Peter withdrew from the Gentiles, wanting to make that separation again. And, P and Paul rebuked him to his face. That's love. Love does rock the boat, brethren, but love does also rock the boat accurately and from the Scripture, from the Word of God. You know, Dave Hunt used to often say, I long for correction. If, if, if I did something wrong, correct me, but only correct me through the Word of God. In the Word of God is when I will receive my correction. And that's what we're to do, brethren. Verse 20 says, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice doing nothing with partiality. Wow. Doing nothing with partiality. You know, I love how the Bible describes the body of Christ. You know, uh, the hands, the feet, the eyes, the nose, the toes, the, the things that seem insignificant end up really being those that are, that are more predominant. Stub your toe real bad and you'll see what I'm saying. Uh, we need to learn to put prejudices aside and uh, and care wholly about the body of Christ. Verse 22 says, Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. Now, brethren, I want to say just a few things about this. Verse 22 is, Do not lay hands on anyone hastily. You know, Schofield says that it's, it's, it's the same today as it was, uh, you know, in yesteryear. Uh, too many people... Are, uh, he also says that's about another uh, passage. But too many people are put in the place of authority. Too many times people, uh, without going methodically uh, through, you know, whether the Word of God or being raised, you know, maturely. You know, the Bible, uh, biblical growth, brethren, is not a sprint. It is a marathon. Little by little, precept upon precept, line upon line. You know, it's been said that if God wants to create a weed... He does it in a week. If God wants to create an oak, he takes years and years. We want oaks. We want solid people that will go the duration. Not those that start out so strong and so confident. And they get a little way in the race. When the race starts getting tough and that warfare starts coming down, they leave the faith or they, or they tire out and they cannot go on. And they really become a casualty. Don't lay hands on anyone too hastily. I, brethren, uh, have done this in the past, years ago, and I've paid dearly for it. Nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. 
brethren, don't 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 follow that that famous saying: when you're in Rome, do as the Romans do. No, when you're in Satan's world, you do as Jesus Christ would have you to do. When you're in this world that's run by the God of this age, and Satan is the God of this age, the prince of the power of the air, we do as the Lord Jesus Christ would do, as the word of God would do. Never, ever, uh, we check everything by the word of God. We do everything by the word of God. We see that all through the scripture. Keep yourselves pure, brethren. Wow. You know, you're going to be uh, so glad that you've taken these seriously, despite the snares of the world, despite the jeerings of your own brethren. But you keep yourself pure. You keep yourself walking on the straight and narrow, not looking to the right or to the left, but keeping your eye on the Lord Jesus Christ. And in a moment when this, this world is over, and he looks at you and he says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Believe me, brethren, this world holds nothing. Keep yourself pure. In the practical emanations, look at what, how he cares about Timothy. Verse 23 says, No longer drink water only, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and frequent infirmities. Wow. You know, in the midst of this, this heavy doctrine, in the midst of this wonderful verse, in the midst of this chapter, Look at what the instruction of the Word of God through the Apostle Paul is. Not only providing for widows, not only looking upon elder men, uh, exhorting them as fathers, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, sisters with all purity, uh, talking about parents, talking about widows and love of God. Now Timothy moves on to the fact that Timothy, or Paul says, Timothy, I know that you have stomach ailment. You know, try doing this. And it's just a little tender uh, approach that the Apostle Paul has. You know, he wasn't a, a man that wore his emotions on his shirt sleeve. He was a man that came off cold. We know in the scripture where it says that he knows that there's some out there that say your what, your letters are weighty and they're they're commandful. And yet when we see you, you're, you're trembling and you're, you're, you know, have not very good speech. But his heart was there. And uh, we see that in the 16th chapter of Romans, for example. That whole chapter, he is, it's a loved reading. It's the, of all that has gone on before, the, the doctrine and the teaching and, and of the epistle of the Romans. You get to the 16th chapter, and it's absolutely wonderful, the love and the caring that he has. And right in the middle of that wonderful chapter in Romans 16, he gives a sharp warning to avoid those that cause division. Because division is prideful. It's a prideful tactic. But love unites. Love cares about one another. Love takes care of the widows. Love, love takes care of your elderly parents. Love takes care of your brethren. Love labors as an ox, not only for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, but the ox is laboring in love, and it benefits those for which we labor Brethren, if you don't get anything from this study today, get that. Your labor of love benefits eternally those who receive the word that has been given, the instruction, the example. So our work, we must work and work and work until God calls us home. We work on this battlefield, not swaying to the enemy of our souls, 
but absolutely with one accord and one mind and one direction and one purpose working for the Lord Jesus Christ for the benefit of those that would be saved. The last two verses say this simply, brethren, some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. Verse 25, likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, but those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. You know, let me just close by saying that when it says that some men's sins are clearly evident, I think that we see that, we understand that some men are openly evil, some men are openly defiant, openly uh, greedy, openly lustful, openly for themselves, and they're going to proceed them to judgment. But those are, some sins of those will follow later. You know, I had a, my pastor said an amazing thing one time, he said, you know, you're going to be amazed at who's there, but you're even going to be more amazed at who's not there. Let's be open and transparent, brethren. Let's show people our life, the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and died for me. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. So why not be open? Why not be transparent? We want to show the world Him in all our actions and in all we do. I pray that today has been instructive. I pray that we would realize that everything is done in love. You know, one thing I love about the epistles, um, especially, that they're, they are rich in the doctrine of Christ, but they're surrounded by the love of Christ. Remember that that egg. We got the yoke of the Word of God, the yoke, the pure yoke of, of the the Word of God, the doctrine of Christ. And yet the white surrounding the yoke is the love of Christ. The doctrine of Christ surrounded by the love of Christ is powerful. It is powerful. It's all inclusive. Remember the scripture says that love covers a multitude of sins. If we have love, we're nothing, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. We're just a clanging symbol. And boy, there's a lot of that out there today. I think if, if nothing else, people are, are tired of hearing all kinds of opinions, all kinds of noises, all kinds of chattering. People want substance. And that's what we have as pastors and overseers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brethren, I pray that, that you would take these things to heart, and as always, as the Good Shepherd would always say, and as we as under shepherds should say, for the sake of our integrity regarding the Word of God, check everything you hear by the Word of God, whether from me or from anybody else. There is no higher honor and respect that you can pay to a pastor of the Word of God than to take what he says and check it by the word of God. This is a precedent that has gone on from the prophets, Jesus Christ himself, the apostles, disciples, they passed on. That when they heard the word of God and they searched the scriptures and they saw that that, that was so, their strength was solidified and it was, you know, the brands in Acts chapter 17. They eagerly went and heard the apostle Paul. But yet they 
also eagerly went back every day and searched the scriptures to see if these things were so. When Jesus was on the road with those two to, to Emmaus, remember they said, as he was talking with us, our hearts were burning. And he spoke the word of God. He opened up the scriptures to them. They knew the scriptures. They, they knew what was in the scriptures as, as good Orthodox Jews heard the scriptures, and yet when he expounded to them, it burned in their heart and it solidified. He did the same thing a few verses later as he went into the upper room in Luke 24. He expounded to them the scriptures. He got them ready. And, and, and as we see in the book of Acts and onward, they preached. And I'll close with this, brethren. We want to be solid in the word of God. And there is a scripture that I want to, too, that I want to leave with you today in Acts chapter 4. And let me just read it to you. This has been so instructive in my life. The scene is Jesus rose from the dead. He just ascended to the Father, was still fresh and everything, what had happened there. And as we see, Peter, I love this, they were, they were walking around, Peter and John, they were, they were walking around and he said this, he said, let it, be named, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel by the, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man stands before you whole. Remember, they healed that man, Peter and John. Now, this is what I want to close with, brethren. This, the Sanhedrin, uh, the Pharisees, all the religious rulers and did not want to hear this. He quoted right after he said that. He said, this is the stone, talking about Christ, which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Then he goes on to say, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given amongst men by which we must be saved. Now, brethren, they, they were probably indignant. This was the most unwelcome thing they could have heard at this time. But yet, look at the response. The next verse says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, untrained men, listen to this, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. A changed life with the word of God, you pastors, is an amazing testimony to the risen Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you all. Pray that you would have... Uh, the blessing of Christ in your life. And until we, uh, until we come together again, God bless you. And why would they believe in him in eternal life? How will we know that we have eternal life? You know, there's so many much speculations about what it means to please God. How do we know? How do I know that I am saved? How do I know that God is pleased? Well, Paul Paul, in his first chapter of Romans, he says an amazing thing. He said, called to be an uh, apostle, separated in the gospel of God, which he promised before through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. Listen to this, brethren. And declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection of the dead. We're, he's believed on in the world. 
we are born-again Christians because he was received up into glory. God raised him from the dead, and now he's seated at the right hand of God, and he intercedes for us. He's in the presence of the Father for us, the Bible says. Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. Today, we must hear the cross in the pulpit. The Apostle Paul, who is instructing his young pastor, says this to the Corinthians, I believe. I want to know nothing among you save Christ and him crucified. We are saved by the gospel and the gospel alone. As we go next time, when we get together, brethren, and we get into chapter 4, we start shifting a little bit of a different avenue of what the pastor needs to teach. Some are going to depart from the faith. Some are going to give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. We're going to get into that quite extensively next time in our visit. You know, Timothy was very fond of Paul and, and uh, was commended by Paul for, for going with him on his work. He sat under Paul. He saw Paul and, and the things Paul went through. We are going to see as we go on, especially to end the second Timothy, the feverish pitch that Paul had as he was entering the twilight of his life. He knew that, that his time had come, that his martyrdom was soon. And as he's speaking to young Timothy, as much as, as we need to hear today, that he is urgent that Timothy would hang in there and preach nothing but the truth, be ready in and out of season, to not bend, you know, to be uh, that same ongoing character, not bending, not bending for anything, and standing up for the truth, and being an example, being filled with love. I think the true pastor today has no other greater calling. You know, I, I remember, and I'll close with a statement of the late Dr. Barnhouse says he was going uh, on one of his conference tours, um, and I believe I had mentioned this before, but it's, I know it's been true in my life, and I've seen it true in, in all pastors' life, true pastoring, and true pastors that I have seen and fellowshiped with. The woman came up to Dr. Barnhouse and said, My son wants to be a pastor and a teacher just like you. And Dr. Barnhouse looked at the mother and said, If little Johnny, if he could be content with being anything else, whether it be a fireman, a banker, a doctor, what have you, then that's what he should be. If he could be content being anything else, God probably has not called him to be a pastor. High calling? Yes. Im utterly impossible on our own strength, but very possible and probable and very, very uh, worthwhile to give our life to the ministry. Brethren, has God called you into the ministry? Hang in there with us with these messages. Explore the word in these epistles with us. And I think we'll become away with a, re a refreshed understanding of the true pastor and how he is to live and teach. And our God and Father, I thank you that you have given us your word and that we are attentive to it. And I pray that this would add not only encouragement, but accountability to those of us who you have called to feed your precious word, to be an example 
of the God we so graciously serve. And Father, I praise you and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll look forward to next time together, brethren. Until then, God bless you. She loves much because she is calm and she understands she's been forgiven a boatload of sin. And by that very nature, she loves much. Ah, love. There we go. Back in 1 John 4.10, and again, and this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. And I will end at verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Propitiation. Talked about that before. It was a propitiated sacrifice. What that means is that he laid down a sacrifice, the only sacrifice that God will accept on your and mine's behalf. There is only one way to God. There is only one sacrifice that will get us there. And Jesus Christ laid it down and paid it to the full. And God was pleased that Christ died in your place by raising him from the dead. And by believing in that, you are born from above. Your sins are forgiven you. We overcame them by the blood of the Lamb. By that very nature, we are born again by the very love that God had for me by sending Christ in my place. That love is now residing within me. <laughs> How can we tell the difference between one who knows God and one who doesn't. How can we have a surety in our hearts that we're born again? The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. What does the Spirit always do? Point us to Christ. Point us to Christ. Jesus said he loved his own and he loved them to the end. Wow. God always has his remnant, his body. And they will walk in, in love. And I believe that there's been so much ridicule of the Christian church uh, in the, the, well, you know, as I've said before, you know, I've been a Christian for a while. Just in the three decades that I've known Christ, I've seen such a, a shift in things. You know, once that was things that were solid, now aren't solid, you know. Uh, churches that used to be known for their uh, their faith and their standing on the rock are now being shifted and now don't teach the things they used to. But that's no cause for alarm for us, for you and I, because we know that God, we are safe in Him. We don't want that Elijah syndrome, you know, where he goes into the cave and he says, man, I'm alone that's left. That's now. I have, you know, reserved for me those that have not bowed the knee to anything else. So, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And I'll end with this statement Jesus said in John 10 10. The thief only comes to kill still, and destroy. But I have come that you might not only have life, but that you might have it abundantly, joyously,
The one that knows Christ may sound alarming, maybe watchman on the wall. You read about, uh, you know, Jeremiah, especially Ezekiel. They sent him as a watchman on the wall. And God said, you know, if, if you see that, we see in Ezekiel chapter 3 and verses 33, or chapter 33 and elsewhere, you know, if you see that, if you hear the sound of the trumpet, the warning, and you give faithful warning, and men turn, great. If they don't turn, the blood's on their own hands. But if you hear the warning, or you see the warning, and you hear the trumpet, and you don't warn them, Their blood is on your head. And we don't have time to turn there because I said we were done. But you look in Acts chapter 20, and that's exactly what the Apostle Paul says to the Ephesian elders. He says, I've taught, taught you nothing but things that will be proffered you. I am innocent of the blood of all men. And that is what he means there. He's innocent of the blood of all men. He's heard the trumpet. He sees the, the, the thing come, the judgment coming and the warning coming, and he is sound. He pleaded day and night for three years with tears. The whole counsel of God. He says, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. And yet, we know Paul was, was well, he wrote Philippians, and some call that the epistle of joy. But, but did that guy have joy? Absolutely. Did Peter have joy? Absolutely. He wrote about the joy inexpressible and full of glory. Did John have joy? Oh, yeah. It was serious. And then I, I promise you I will end with this. One of my favorite sayings or writings of Peter's writing. But the end, this is 1 Peter 4, 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be silly. Hey, and therefore, party with Jesus. No. He says the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful unto prayers. But how does he close that? Listen to this next verse. But above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins. Brethren, there's more to this Christian life than just knowing doctrine. and It's knowing Him. And it's understanding that He is so desirous to make himself known. That's how John opens up his first epistle about fellowship. You have seen and heard and declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. He said, these things we write to you that so that your joy may be full. We need to be serious about these times and about what we say and what we do. Greg, you want to pray, please? Lord God, we thank you for your word that you've spoken today. We want to be serious 
and, and know you, Lord. And we ask that you reveal yourselves through the, the word. And we ask that we, you put it in our hearts for us to get in the word every day. Not just at Bible study or at church, Lord, but have fellowship with you every single day. And we ask that you go before us throughout our week, throughout our day, and prepare the way for us, Lord. And give us the will to do your will. In the name of Jesus' name. Amen. Of this. He's describing a man who's been born again that as he goes to the Oriental bathhouse, so as he takes a bath, he's cleansed from all unrighteousness, and yet when he's walking back to the house, his feet will acquire defilement, and thus wash his feet. But he himself is clean from all that the law could say or accuse him. And it's beautiful, because that's what we are. And when we have defilement, we confess our sins to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's wise, he's just, because he took the condemnation himself. He fulfilled every bit of the law for you and I. And he also took the condemnation and the judgment for the breaking of that law for you and I, so he's just. Listen to these words. If we confess our sins, our defilement, he is faithful and just, forgives our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Wow. Keep on sinning. Wow. We can't, because we've been born of God. Nor do you need to. You know? That's what separates biblical Christianity from all the other religions in the world. And I only say religion as far as Christianity is just by means of comparison. By no means does the Bible talk favorably about religion. Religion is always the outward show. We as baptism and one baptized in the body, we show the world what has already happened and taken place on the inside. That's the meaning of baptism. So when you go baptize in the river wherever you get, you show the world. When I was baptized in Corleone Bay in North Lake Tahoe, I was signifying to the world and to my parents, something has happened to me. I believe this gospel. I believe this word of God. My sins have been, I've been forgiven. That Jesus Christ is now my Lord. I'm not my Lord anymore. I walked to a different drumbeat, and that's to him. And I've never looked back. And I'm thankful I haven't. Because Paul says that, you know, you can run a race. And if you run it in such a way, there's a, there's a reward and there's a crown waiting for you. And I want that crown and I want that reward. I want to see my Lord. I'm expecting to see him. I want to see him. I can't wait to see him. Because I know that when I see him, I will be with him forever. I just want to end these verses probably for my own sake. Because right now, folks, I think that is a time for comfort. I think that, you know, you can read these verses and you can look at sin so much, you can tend to get, uh, feel like you've getting pummeled with things. And it's not the fact that we pummel because somebody's life might not be as righteous as mine. But we admonish these things so that we might see that the Lord desires that we have nothing in the way of Him. You know? 
We even say it in our wedding vows. You forsake all others, you know. And I remember talking, you know, we did Jen and Joe's wedding. You know, you are you willing to forsake all others? Okay. What does that mean? Well, there's not too many. There's, there are people out there, but there, most people don't actually commit the physical adultery maybe on the wife, but they sure do in so many other ways. And if that's true in the physical realm of, of relationships down here, well, it's more, it's more uh, abundant with our Christian life. There are so many things. The devil and everything is clamoring for our attention. The flesh wears its ugly head when you don't think it will. The moment you think you've got everything under control, here it comes. Look out. The moment you think you've been having a pretty good day, man, and you've talked to a couple of people about Christ, one might have given his life for Christ, and you're relishing in the, in the glow of it, watch out. You know, let's make up our mind now. So when it comes, you're dealing with it. I am my beloved's, and my beloved's mine. That's, that's my wife and I's verse out of uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 7. But listen to this. I'll leave you with the, with the first six verses of, of the discourse in John 14. It says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Wow. In my Father's house are many mansions, or many rooms, or dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. He's going and preparing a place for you, for me, individually. You know, as a corporate part of his body, he loves you. He's going to tailor this for you. I believe this with all my heart, because my God's like that. He loves us individually. He's tailoring a place for you, exactly what you want. You know, people down here, they want to find the perfect house. And, you know, I mean, we've been selling our house for almost a year now. I know. I mean, for all kinds of things. Oh, you know, it's great, but we want this. Oh, it's great. He is tailing something, I believe, with all my heart, that is going to just dazzle us for eternity. I can't wait to see that. He loves you. And, and we flirt with sin? In my Father's house, are, again, are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That's the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants you with him. And we're going we're gonna to forsake that in sin? We're going to forsake that and, and entertain uh, pride and, and, and everything else? Is it tough? Hey, did anybody say the Christian life was going to be easy? Paul says, I die daily. So he's going to go prepare this fantastic place. You know, I don't have to worry about, well, hey, you know, is it going to be something I want? It will be exactly what I was designed to love and to dwell in because that's who God is. And if I go and prepare a place for you again, he says, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And you know, and where I, I go, you know, the way you know. Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where the way you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus takes it from the material to the spiritual. Life. Life is not this. 
Life is Him. We don't know where you're going to go. Leave us a map or something. You know, let us know. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. Wow. Lord, um, the Lord has shown me the last, well, when I really understood where we're going, and the time is short for, for us here, but I love you guys, and that's my heart. That's the heart of the Lord, and I, I, I would be you know, I used to tell my sons, if you don't tell somebody the truth, you're not really being a truthful friend to them. And there's so much more to this life than just what meets the eye. You know, they say that those that are suffer great loss, suffer problems in their life. I mean, uh, we've all had tragedy, death, uh, whatever. That those who, who, who stick to the Lord and allow Him to take them through them find an intimacy with Him that most people don't. But we also understand the Bible talks about those that give up their life, that give up what they, they don't need, and they grab what they cannot afford to lose. There's an intimacy and a joy there that the Bible talks about that few nowadays know about, few as far as the masses go. And that's what we want. Father, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for the word. And Lord, but I, I thank you for the Lord of the word. That so eloquently points to who you are and your character. Father, I pray that if there are those listening that have not surrendered everything, intellect, pride, um, whatever to you, that they would do it. Because it, nobody needs to be taught. It's the Spirit that teaches us to abide in Christ. I pray that would be their lot, because what is it worth if man gains a whole world and that you know, loses? What is it gain? If we have 20 more days left and we, we live it half-heartedly, I pray that we would... We would we would consider and accept nothing less than excellency. Nothing less than the Word of God operating in our life. Again, I thank you for this day, and I pray that you would go with us as we go, and give us joy that our joy might be full. Father, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.